I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I've got some serious comedy royalty for the final episode of the opening series of Laughter Unlocked. Jojo Sutherland and Bruce Devlin. As well as being a stand-up stalwart for 20 years, charismatic mother of four Jojo goes to great lengths to glean new material, the most extreme example being her starring role in Channel 4's award-winning series, Wife's Walk. This year, she'll be taking a new solo show to the Edinburgh Fringe called Growing Old Disgracefully. You can see that at the Gilded Balloon, 4.45pm during the Fringe. But before that, she'll be performing at the Stand Comedy Club in Glasgow this Sunday, March the 13th, alongside Bruce Devlin as part of the Glasgow International Comedy Festival, where they'll be doing a live recording of their podcast, Be Honest with Jojo and Bruce, with guests weather lady Judith Ralston and dominatrix turned power coach Megara Fury. Oh, and yours truly might be making an appearance too. In demand around the world and across the UK for both corporate and comedy gigs, Bruce has performed everywhere from Dubai to Amsterdam and is a firm favourite at the New York, Glasgow and Edinburgh comedy festivals. His experience takes in everything from chat shows to cabaret to comedy for kids. So, Jojo and Bruce, thanks very much. Thanks for, for joining me on the final episode of this season of Laughter Unlocked. Yep, closing it down together, Bruce. Cancelling it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I wonder was... if I'll end up on the cutting room floor. Mm, no, 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 no you absolutely won't. Oh, no, 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 that did happen. I was um, I was a pivotal part in a documentary, Wait for It, about cancel culture, and they, uh, they cancelled me. <laughs> uh, they phoned me <laughs> from a supermarket and said, oh, it was just to say, see all your stuff, we've cut it. Oh, no. Yeah. I know. He's not happy. Did you still get paid? Oh, God, yeah. 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 Well, that's all right, then. Well, it's not really. So, Well, I just think it's odd that you would cancel someone for not being on brand for cancel culture. <laughs> I wonder culture. How, often, how often that happens, though, that in programmes like that, they just create far too much content yeah. so that they're, they're, they're spoilt for choice. But It's just the thing that's upset me now is, and I was grateful to get the invitation to come on because I am now known as Podcast Poison, so... Box office poison. <laughs> Box <short>. office pod. <laughs> well, you'll notice that I said the first season of Laughter Unlocked rather than the only season. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, and then, well, Hop- fingers crossed. Optimism, that's what we like. But this, this, the, the running theme throughout, as you as you probably know, is I'm, I'm trying to find out whether you can learn stand-up. We'll get mm. your thoughts on that, because I know you've, I know you've both got interesting thoughts on that subject. And then come Edinburgh in August, even if I just do... A five minute or maybe even a ten minute open spot in one particular day, I will have achieved the the, the dream. The goal. The goal. That's the that's the contractual agreement with the listeners. Do you ever want to achieve your goal though? I think it's the journey that's more exciting. Yes, and you just keep putting the goals true. further and yeah, further just away. Keep bumping it back. Mm-hmm. That'll be next year's fringe. Yeah. And I mean, like not not having come from a, any kind of comedy background, and, and what I mean by that is that I've, you know up until a, a year or two ago, I didn't really know anyone in the comedy game. Mm. I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't a, I wasn't an avid comedy watcher, as in live comedy. Um, it was really just a a visit through to the fringe in 2019, and it it, it got me kind of chatting to my my boss about you know not not enough. I think I still think there's not enough coverage given to the you know to the Edinburgh Fringe, but mm-hmm. certain certain parts of the media. And um, 
And I went through this particular Sunday and I made a point of just watching as many shows as I possibly could. And I just really uh, I thought, why, why have I not done this before? Yeah. But anyway, the conversation started. Why don't you see, as, as, a, as part of a feature idea, why don't you see if you can learn it? And I'm sure that probably annoyed a lot of people because a lot of folk in the comedy game probably thought, oh, is that just as simple as that? You can just learn it like that overnight, you know? I think as well, though, I mean, wasn't it Fern Brady? It was exactly the same. She yes. was a journalist and then that was a sort of set yes. as a task and, and she went on to become a professional stand-up. Yes, as was Scott Agnew too. Scott did the yeah. same thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, it is a, it's a path that's yeah. been... Uh, Trodden, trodden before, is that yeah. But also, you're quite right. It's all about Edinburgh Fringe, isn't necessarily particularly not well represented by the media mm. for s local talent. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's kind of, um, yeah, it gets quite hugely ignored. Do you think it's? Out, do you think it's become too big? That was the point Milton Jones was making a couple of weeks ago. The fringe, not anymore. No, <laughs> since COVID, since COVID restrictions put a bomb under it. Will the reset help it this year? Do you think? Well, you know what I really hope that happens is that last year, because we didn't even know it was going to happen, and then, you know, there was far less shows than, than normal. In fact, not enough shows to go around. So every single room was packed to the gunnels and people were having a brilliant time. And I don't know if this year, I think it's going to be oversubscribed with shows this year. Mm -hmm. What I'm hoping is that the audience, having discovered little rooms above pubs and names they'd never heard of and just down little alleyways, that the audience's behaviour will have changed this year so they won't automatically go to the Pleasants and the big boys that they'll actually seek out smaller rooms, lesser known people mm -hmm. unknowns and the, yeah, the, the audience um, balance will be yeah, better. Yeah, and there, there will be probably some, quite a lot of acts will be doing Edinburgh for the first time as well because mm -hmm. about, there's been a gap, of a, well the, the, it was on last year to oh. a degree We kind of hope that a lot of people would give up, didn't we? <laughs> Seems to be more people but a lot starting. Of people have. Th th that's the thing. And I actually disagree with you. I think what will happen is when it finds its feet again, people will go and see who they want to see, whether they've got a big YouTube following or they are television people. Or I think the worst thing you can do as an established comedian, and I'm talking about, you know, you've got the blue tick on Instagram and Twitter, you've had as many series and all this kind of stuff. For you to come up and do a couple of days of your tour during Edinburgh, I think is unforgivable. Yeah. I, I really do. And I also think that more established names coming to do work in progress because the way that media works nowadays, people want to see people that they recognise. It's interesting, going back to what you were saying about a journey into stand-up, particularly with Fern. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with you. You'd overheard Fern at a review board of someone who didn't begin as a comedian. They began in the music world yeah. and then did some comedy shows. And Fern, uh, it's, it's the way I remember it, nothing against Fern or anything like that, but she was like, oh, does X think she's an effing comedian now? So I think, and you're like, <laughs> so it's okay then for you to have gone. And that's the thing. We we are all shapeshifters for want of a better thing. Who cares how you got into it? Are you a good comedian? That's the yeah. bigger question. Yeah, there was no, a, absolutely. I, I was, uh, so I did five minutes at Red Row last night at the stand and we'll listen to that a, a wee clip of that in a second but um, there was, a, there was a, a guy on opening called Jamie Kirk do you know if you know yeah, Jamie, yeah Jamie. and, and there's a lovely line where he said he described himself as a as a comedian who um who in his spare time uh, drives buses 40 hours a week. Yeah, well, no, absolutely. Joe <laughs> Caulfield a has a lovely thing. Um, she has this thing on her website about things that other comedians have learned from, um, or learning from other comedians. And she has this line that says, if, you, if you're an accountant 40 hours a week and a comedian 10 minutes a week, you're a fucking accountant. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it's true, isn't it?
<laughs> so yeah, so well, let's have a have a wee listen. This was me doing uh, my five minutes at uh, the the Glasgow Stand Red Row last night, and I've, I've over the over the course of the last few weeks, I've been speaking to professional comedians throughout, getting some advice and getting some tips. Most of which I completely ignored and broke last night. Um, so we'll have a wee listen just now, and then we can have a chat about it afterwards. Obviously, you guys have heard the whole routine. This is just a wee clip. Uh, for the listeners, and this is me talking about the Glasgow underworld scene and how some of the uh, some of the characters in it give themselves ridiculous nicknames, like uh, characters of the Cartoon Network. And then there's a guy currently terrorising Glasgow by the name Bonzo. Bonzo, right? It's like something that CTVs in it. <laughs> I mean, imagine Owen protection money to the fifth territory. <laughs> An episode that would be. <laughs> Look, children, here comes Bonzo. He's very angry today. He's lost his jerrys. <laughs> Shall we help him find them? <laughs> we know a song about gangland executions, don't we, children? <laughs> we'll be singing to Bonzo, see if we can cheer him up. <laughs> Next thing you know, Bonzo and the gang are chasing Maka Paka through the night garden. Sorry, saw it. Oh, hell's breaking loose. Upsy Daisy, she's been on the scag all day. She's getting in between them. Fucking leave it, comes the work <laughs> Coke spilt everywhere. No, no, does he miss a trick? He's up there. <laughs> Dora the Explorer, she's got all the way in a G4S fan. Bob the Builder put a half brick into Dora's weed upside. She just hucked a guy over the head and she's there. <laughs> Round the corner, Noddy, he's filming an episode of Top Gear. <laughs> and it's got nothing to do with cars. <laughs> anyway, this isn't, uh, this isn't my, uh, my, my real work. I'm talking about Noddy, you guys are probably, you don't even remember Noddy. Really? Right, so I'm, I'm getting on a wee bit. I'm at, that, I'm at that kind of stage in life now where I'm kind of even just climbing out of bed and making kind of weird involuntary noises. <laughs> Ooh, I sound like a football commentator describing a near miss. Ooh. My wife thinks she's married to Rob McLean. That's mainly because I stop halfway through sex and say, let's take a look at that again. This paint from a different angle. This isn't my real job, we're just uh, starting this out, you know, fanning about basically. Um, I'm actually a journalist um, and I used to do a bit of war reporting back in the day, genuinely, which is quite topical at the moment. Um, two incidents that stick in my mind that kind of made me think oh, I don't want to do that anymore. One was Basra, Iraq, 2003, genuinely a true story. Um, I was holed up in this bombed out building with some soldiers and I was absolutely terrified. I was curled up in a wee ball. The gunfire's getting louder and louder and closer and closer. I remember thinking to myself, how ironic. I'm about to be killed by a religious fundamentalist and I am she-iting myself. I <laughs> <laughs> spent a John Simpson, I put on my helmet, I put on my flat jacket and hit my fucking cupboard. <laughs> Another one was a wee bit after that, a year or two after that, I was in Kosovo in the Balkans and I was uh, in a car full of journalists and UN officials from various different countries and we round the corner and we get ambushed six rounds through the front windscreen past my ear, left me partially deaf, but I felt sorry for my translator in the back seat who had to say, fuck me in that part in four different languages. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm Simon Houston. Thanks for your lesson. 
So, what's your, what was your? I mean, well, first of all, I absolutely hate hate listening to myself. I was so. laughing. <laughs> not listening to you. Sorry. No, I have that. Watching I, you, your I, face is a picture. I, I don't like photographs, footage. Mm. Um, I don't like hearing my own voice or whatever. I think. What you have to realise, and what I was thinking, once you found your strides, mm-hmm. not naming names, I will name them in the car on the way home, of course, <laughs> you were certainly a lot better than people I have worked with in Glasgow who are considered dependable or all this kind of stuff. You know, there was a fresher take on, I mean, obviously I've heard so much material for so many years, but the confidence was certainly there and you were getting laughs, big yeah. laughs. You got an applause break. Yeah. All right, mm. okay. See, I didn't even know what an applause break, uh, applause break. break. <laughs> Just means some people clapping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People clapping they're, during they're, your set. Ah, right, okay. Break. Yeah, no. So I think Madonna, <laughs> but a much smaller version. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! But, um, so... Again, a running theme through this, and the, this goes right back to the very first episodes when I was talking to Fred uh, Macaulay and Ray Bradshaw about whether people depend on having, um, you know, pointers on that written in their hand. Looks very unprofessional. Does, and fact, yeah. Oh, I think it looks awful. And yeah. whenever I see anybody with it written on their hand, I yeah. just go amateur. Yeah, yeah, but but and, and absolutely, and, and I and I didn't even look at it. Mm-hmm. Kind of wish I had because because I took a bit of a mental block quite near the start, and I kind of missed a line that I was, I'd convinced myself I was going to miss mm-hmm. and I'd talked myself into it. I think somebody made that point Which earlier. I think you can talk yourself yeah. into it. One of the reasons I genuinely don't like the, the writing on the hand is several reasons. One, that, you know, comedy being the art form that it is, you know, made or people believe that it's made up on the spot, that immediately when somebody keeps looking at the hand breaks that connection with the audience and, you know, and it just makes it seem... That, oh yeah, you are literally trying to remember what it is that you've yeah. written. Yeah, and it yeah, I just think it looks eggy. Have you noticed um, in the in the kind of post uh, pandemic world more, more people who wouldn't wouldn't normally do that doing it? I think that what you have found post pandemic is a lot of people who may not be as good as they think they are that now have a whole new load of things that excuses the fact they've done a bad gig. And I'm sorry if that sounds bad, but I am so tired of coming off as an MC, leaving the audience laughing. And unless I haven't left them laughing, then I'm genuinely mentally ill and I need therapy. Oh, yeah, I think it's because of the space and because of the, the sanitizer around the table. Oh, you know, we're in a comedy. Maybe you're just not that good. <laughs> now, I'm not saying I'm the best, but, you know, I'm up there. Uh, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that you have to stop looking for excuses. You have to take charge. With regard to the thing on the hands, I remember back in the day, I never did it, largely because I've never really written a set and I'm always in my head anyway. I think it's fine on an open mic night. If I see anyone do that on a weekend gig, I'm like you should really take that off because I also think it's insulting to the audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not on a beginner's night, um, not on an open mic night, but even when I went to see Joan Rivers 2003 as part of the Glasgow Festival, she did have a lot of her work on cards in front of her. But she was 102, so she, she was needed 102, to do so there was that, you know, But the fact of the matter is, you're better doing that and making reference to it. But how much stuff can you actually fit on no, your hand? I know, and I know. you sweat and it goes blood. And then yeah. you go, oh, I can't read my hand. So I think it is the case. I, I haven't noticed more people doing that, no. but I have noticed more people going, oh my God, it's just, it's such an atmosphere. And it's like, well, stop talking about the pandemic and COVID on stage because people want to move on. They want to laugh at what you've got to say. And I suppose also that that people have built up a reputation with a particular set and they'll be known for their kind of bankers and the the, the set they've been doing for for a few years. Mm -hmm. Then there was this big thing that happened 
that, that I suppose everybody has to give some kind of nod to in their, in their sets now. I mean, you, you make the point, yeah, we want to move on, but my God, it must be very difficult for a comedian, a professional comedian to, to be on stage now and not talk about COVID pandemic and, and all that stuff. So therefore, they'll be kind of learning, they'll be, they'll be having to do new material. Maybe yeah, without... well, if you've had 18 months off and you haven't come back with new material, <laughs> then give up. <laughs> Swear to God, give up. It's yeah. funny, yeah, OK, in the beginning make reference to it, but what are we now, two Coming up for two years since two, two, two years, two years. The back today is the first anniversary. No, yesterday the first, first of March was the, the first Scottish March. positive case. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. okay. And and we hope they're well and we yes. hope they've recovered. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, the only thing that I ever say, if someone's coughing, which I think is disgusting anyway, I'm just like, would you mind not coughing, particularly at the tail end of a pandemic? You know, have some mm. dignity or indeed get out. But I don't understand why people are still doing COVID COVID material. If you see what I mean, and talking about it because it's like because by and large clubs are pretty much up and running as normal mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. I think there and is... I think it's boring. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. and I think there are so many things that you can talk about about COVID that are just the same thing. Do you know what I mean? And people making the same references. So when it becomes, you know, essentially hag. I mean, but yeah, of course, but I think we've had a joint experience emotionally. So regardless of what your circumstances have been throughout the last 18 months, a very fact that we've gone through it mm-hmm. um, and the different takes on it, yeah, it's beginning to tire, and I agree with you, Bruce. I think now anything... I mean, basically, I said last night, if you haven't had COVID, you're not even trying to move on. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, there really isn't anything more to say about it, and everybody seems to have yeah. forgotten about it anyway because we're at war, yeah, allegedly. of course. Bruce, you said that you you don't write a set, it's all in your head. And, and I wonder, too, whether you can over-rehearse something. Again, we discussed that prior yeah. to the, the, the recording. that I, I re- rehearsed my wee set so many times that I wanted to get absolutely word perfect and I think that's what threw me because if you're trying to remember something word for word but there's a difference between knowing your set inside and out in which you can build and which you can take so I always say to new people what you should do particularly if you're at the stands if you want to go from the 10 minute spot to the opening 15 or 20 you have to know your 10 minutes inside and out now that doesn't necessarily mean verbatim what that means is if for whatever you spook yourself, you get heckled, something happens, you can recover. And if you're taping that back and you're listening to it, then you think, oh, I could go off on this tangent and whatever. So it's a really, really important thing to have. But it seems as though you thought, I have to have everything on the page articulated or I've done a bad gig, which again, going back to what we've listened to, you didn't do a bad gig at no. all. And remember, the audience doesn't know what you're going to say, so if you forget something... It's really it, only you. It's, yeah. you, it's and, you. And this, this is not a criticism of the stand, because they've got a lot of acts. Oh, they have a lot to answer for. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> Shut them down. But, the, but, the, but the, the, this, if you overrun, you get music off, mm. is for beginners, terrifying. And, and, and actually... You know, people in the audience might just think when they hear the music going on, oh, that's just part of the show. They mm-hmm. might not, they might, might not think that the person who's in music off has been crushed. You yeah. know, but so you're so preoccupied with. That. I didn't realise they did that. Yeah, they do. Right. If you if you particularly run over, but I mean they're not brutal. It's not like five minutes on the door. But I think you said no, there was a guy. Like, there was a guy. Yes, he got to, he got to um, six minutes. Six something. minutes, and I I had to stop watch going because I thought right let's see how he was fortunately he was on before me so I thought this is a good opportunity to see how much leeway they're going to give so he got to six minutes and nine seconds and then said something like and let me explain why this is the case and at that point I thought no the music's coming on because obviously give him six 
Yeah. As though... And the tech will have realised that he wasn't going to finish up. And so, yeah, yeah time yeah. to go. But also you said something about, you know, realising how many people would be crushed by that. Stand-up is not a pleasant place to be. You know, mm. the idea that it's all, you know, nice and cuddly yeah. and it's lovely for everybody and everybody wants to have a nice time. No, it is combative. The very mm. fact that it is that in the moment, visceral, can be quite angry, dangerous. The idea that people want, oh, but I just want to have a nice time. Well, no, you're not going to sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's brutal. Yeah. And so if it's great, if it's going well and the audience is laughing, but if it isn't and you're having a horrible time, that's part of the job yeah. and suck it up. Yeah. But I think it can be brutal and horrible for both performers and audiences yeah. alike for different things. Reason. Yes, no, I absolutely. I think the more that we move on and the amount of objection that's taking place to the spoken word and content um, using Mary Burke as a recent um, example. example of that. Um, I think stand-up is incredibly different from when I sound like RuPaul now. I've been doing drag for 900 years. Um, but I have been doing stand-up, I'm, and I'll troll myself to the listeners. Yes. Some are saying, yeah, you're lucky you've been getting away for it this long. But the fact of the matter is 20 years, and I've 23 years, and I've seen such a huge sea change, particularly in the last five. Mm-hmm. In the last five, you have a crusade. You have an army of people who want to complain on who they think don't have the resources to defend themselves. You have a lot of that. You have a lot of people go, no, but my perception of what you said is X or Y. And you're like, you're not in my head. You don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I can only take responsibility for the words that come out my mouth. I can't take responsibility for your interpretation. Yeah, Because yeah, you'd yeah. go nuts. Yeah, yeah. completely. But the idea that it should be safe and comfortable, the whole point of stand-up, that's what's lovely about it. It's an art form. It is, it pushes the barrier. It is that openness and honesty that is so invigorating. And when you see it done well, it's amazing. To sanitise that to any degree, then that's the death of stand-up. And the the simpler the material, I I kind of went to sleep last night thinking about this because my my biggest critic is my wife. Mm Mm-hmm. And Which is great and glad I, she does criticise you. you that's the other thing. You don't want somebody going, oh, that was great, darling, that was lovely. If it was rubbish, no, it was rubbish. Well, what she said to me was that she said, you, you, you talk about things that people can't relate to because people can't really relate to being in a war zone and they can't really re- relate to maybe being a journalist who's written about gangsters. She said, but, but, you know, like so Susan McKay was headlining last night and she did a wee bit. I don't want to actually you know spoil the material because you know, she's obviously doing a show at the Kings and all. But, but she said something that was very evident to anyone who watches daytime TV and it was just absolutely on the money. It was just such a simple little observation. And when my wife said, that's the sort of thing that people But that's wanted. one area of it. There's observation, there's, um, you know, there's relevance, there's um, the, the kind of, oh, what when do you remember things? When, what's that word? Well, like <laughs> when we couldn't remember who we were talking about earlier. No, Sorry, did your wife come and watch you? <laughs> she yeah. was in the audience, yeah. But people are interested. That's the other thing that's part. If people don't necessarily understand the arena that you're talking about, people are fascinated. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by the fact that you're scared to do a red raw when you've been in a war well, zone. Well, sorry, Bruce. Could be... it, sorry, it was just to say, in my experience of partners or friends, your nerves, I, I don't invite anyone to anything that I do. That intensifies the anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah, that's because, a good point. Do you know, the fact of the matter is, if you muck up, you feel you're letting them down. 
Yeah. That's a very yeah. good And point. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you obviously want to do the best. So if you went and did that gig tonight, you would walk it more than you already well, have. Well, nostalgia. Know, that was the, the money. Other word. That's the very thought as I was walking on the stage was my missus is sitting across there and, and a hater. Bomb, she's <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah. and um and she's about to divorce me for being really shit on stage. But, <laughs> but I was I was thinking But you that, weren't though. shit. That's the thing. You went really too quickly at the too, beginning. I'm speaking too fast. You're speaking too fast. And 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 I kind of I had it in my head how I was going to start it and I, and I can walk, I went off at a tangent. But anyway, maybe about two minutes into it, I got into my stride and then yeah. I, and I enjoyed the last wee bit. And you were doing but, relatable bits and you were talking, although funnily enough, when you were talking about the noises you make, there's always, when you've heard other com- comedians, mm-hmm. people always do go on the same subjects yeah, and yeah, topics. Yeah. But it did remind me of a Billy Connolly bit that he does about the noises about getting out of he, a bath. A, yeah, when he steps into really, really cold yeah, water yeah. and they kind of, <gasps> yeah. like that. Yeah. Or getting oh, up God. from an armchair or the the handles on a bath yeah. to age you yeah. up. So, but that's not to say, I mean, you know, people get really upset about nicking material yeah. and stuff. That's But people do have the same observations. They yeah. do have the same things that happen to them that they talk about, yeah. well, which is I, why everyone's talking about COVID. I, absolutely. Also, I would like to say your wife is pretty general that not everyone's been in a war zone. Have mm-hmm. you picked up a turkey and M&S on the 23rd of December? Mm-hmm. Bitch, please, <laughs> I'll show you war. <laughs> Particularly in a good area. The last one. Edinburgh. Yes. <laughs> Oh, you're leaving it about late 23rd of December, aren't you? It's on order. Oh. <laughs> is this for next year? Show me your giblets. <laughs> the the good thing again. again about the Red Ronnie is that they send you feedback, which hopefully will come in today um, mm-hmm. by, by email. And I think it's one of, I think, well, you know better than I do. I think it's maybe somebody who works behind the bar. Will, yeah, because they know what oh my God, talking that's about. the equivalent of a drive-by shooting. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate that. Like, I do not remember any of this. That yeah, will show no, you how long ago new. since I've done it. Oh, my God. I'd be shiting myself. Yeah, but it's, I think it's I think it's helpful. And one thing that stuck in my mind is from, it. <laughs> I think. Well, put it this way: one of the one of the feedback emails I got, and it really struck a chord because it said, "Yeah, this guy, blah blah blah, a little bit after dinnery," and. And well, I there's good money there. Well, no, but I think the point. I think the point that they were making was, well, see the stuff about you know going to going to the Balkans or going to Kosovo mm. and getting ambushed and losing your hearing, and that's all true. And you know, being in Iraq and stuff. The, I think the point we're making, well, you maybe maybe t- tell that as part of a kind of after dinner. No, but 20, then I disagree 25. because if you look at somebody like Rosie Jones, who's got cerebral palsy and one of the most successful disabled mm-hmm. acts, she's talking absolutely about something I mm-hmm. can't relate to. Mm-hmm. But in terms of her experience, and this is your experience, so your experience is as valid as anyone else's. Yeah. The only thing you have to do is make it funny. That's the only crime you're going to commit is if it's not funny. And, 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 then and you again, can make anything funny. And then you're wrestling with... Um, so I, I'm not staying particularly true to... Uh, to a real event, but you know, but the translator was shot through the show that he lived. God love good. him. He's in. That he's, for a good story. He's, in he's in Macedonia, and uh, and I talk to him every now and again on Facebook. But uh, but I've kind of you know I've, I've totally embellished it because it was just there was only three of us in the car. But I make out that there was a whole load of people, so I can use the language thing. But my point with the feedback, and it's the same with the review, and particularly this has been a thing at the Edinburgh Festival that reviewers have got younger over the years. Yeah. So maybe That's because you've person... got older. No, 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 no. I understand that, but there is much more, if you think about the vast majority of reviewers, that all under... Th- so I write with Michelle McManus and someone that we both know, Benji Potter, that writes for... Um, he, he was the theatre cricket... Cricket? Um, critic. <laughs> cri- oh. You should have oh. that on the way out. Critic for the 
the son, and I met him years ago. I'm, I'm friendly with one of the list women, and he was an assistant on a women's own shoot. Right. And he was like, oh, hi, hi. And I went, oh, you're a bummer. And that was it. We were, you know, friends for life sort of thing. <laughs> and he came, and he didn't get a lot of the references. So I would really kind of be thinking, okay, so some 23-year-old that thinks I'm funnier than any of these CUMTs mm. on the stage, so I'm going to say this is a bit like my dad. Well, yeah, okay, he might be ages with your dad, or it might be a similar thing. You know what I mean? Subject, it's subjective. That's yeah. the whole thing. So that's why I'm saying that, yeah, you can, you, God love you if you're going to take away the positives from that. But I'd be reading that thinking, why is a talking pube adjudicating me? You know, <laughs> what do you know about life? Smell your maw. Absolutely. And I think everybody finds their audiences. You're so polite. Yeah. But everybody I does find that. their audiences. I must, I must clarify, I'm not even sure it's a, a, like a talking pube. You <laughs> no, but you can I, well imagine. Oh, listen, there is nothing worse when you're in a venue. Now, I, I won't name at mundane cabaret candle rigs <laughs> and they used to because the girl booked the same acts over and over to get listen i was you know beginning to lose the plot i could tell you what jesus was going to do or the kitsch kittens or this that and the next thing or whoever was swinging around from their hoop and all that kind of stuff and the staff used to mouth the lines and you used to think hang on a minute you're on a fairly decent rate i'm sorry if the show bores you how do you feel <laughs> how do you think <laughs> i feel because on a sunday the family show my main competition was a carvery so when you're <laughs> when you're trying to get your point across and there's a honking thing of roast beef that even the children are more interested in so it's just like you know have some respect along the line i'm sure your feedback could be absolutely fantastic well, well I'll, let, I'll let i'll let you know please do you know. i would like to know before yeah. before i forget and I, I want to talk about um your own project in the moment so you're doing a podcast together aren't we you? are so tell me all about it well we felt there weren't enough podcasts yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. you know this market is not oversaturated <laughs> at all I do think, though, people say, oh, there's so many podcasts. It's like saying there's too many books. Well, I don't do read, mean, so that means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and I think that's the way the, the world um, the world is changing. And people, because we can have all this equipment and we can make our own films, we can do whatever we like. Anyway, we like talking to each other and we speak to each other every day on the phone. We thought, why not let other people listen to us? Because although we've been friends for years... You both started at the same time, roughly, didn't you? The, the early noughties? I start well. I started nineteen ninety nine. Uh, two thousand and one. So there, thereabouts. Yeah. But although we've known each other those times, it was almost as though we kind of felt not that we'd fallen out, but fallen back in together or rediscovered each other. Just that we found that we were going through lockdown. We had broadly similar opinions about mm -hmm. things, similar anxieties. Um, realised that some of the stuff that we thought had looked at particularly with yourself and the research you are done, wasn't what was on everyone's lips, if you see what I mean. So it was very kind of cathartic to get yeah. together to go, oh, my God, do you see that there's a possibility of this? Or do you think that that's maybe because of that? And I did learn an awful lot from you. And then it had come about that we were like, God, you know, do that thing with, oh, God, could you imagine if everyone was listening to this phone call? We'd be arrested, <laughs> we'd be arrested yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then it's like, oh, do you know what we should do? We should do a podcast. No, absolutely. And because we were so honest with each other, and I think... You know, professionally, we kind of know where we sit with our peers and things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I think people would have been quite surprised to see us being so a vulnerable as well. Mm -hmm. And and B, I mean, we're always honest. That's one of the things that we're kind of well but known for. not disalarmingly so, not being honest just to be rude or to no. bring people down, it basically. And... I include the analysis we do of ourselves in this mm. as well. You know, I mean, well, we're very is, harsh on ourselves. It's it's really stripping everything back because what we realised was 
a lot of people were clinging to the same hymnary or the same hymn sheet, mm. and it seemed a little disingenuous that they were making these comments, you know, DJ, who, you know, whoever they were, because people want to be seen that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I kind of remember it from the Savile retrospective mm. um, prosecutions mm -hmm. and trying to remove his OB or, or, or knighthood or whatever posthumously. And it was this head on a stick thing. You know, they wanted a head on the stick because no one did anything about it then. So what we'll do is we'll respect, you know, we'll address that by doing this. And then with a few things, including COVID and, and, and other things, people were like, no, no, no. But whether, whether or not it's the correct, it's the right thing, and you're like, oh, for God's sake. Like, the really. idea that nobody wants to take responsibility for themselves anymore, nobody wants to be seen to be saying the wrong thing thing they don't think the what that you know they say what they say but they don't actually think that but they daren't be you know people just don't have a spine and willing yeah. to stick their head above the parapet well, it was coming quite boring remind me so i want to hear about the podcast and i want to hear about what you're doing this uh coming sunday as well i want to move on to the jimmy carr situation as well from mm. fairly recently because i'm really interested to get your thoughts on that mm -hmm. so please remind me to ask you yes. about that. but tell me about what's happening uh, on sunday the 13th of march sunday the 13th of march so we are going live with the podcast so at the moment we have been recording 10 minute short sharp not so sweet episodes um called be honest with Jojo and Bruce and we recently put out one which was a slightly longer version 20 minutes where we interviewed Karen Con Karen Dunbar mm -hmm. about her cancel culture show <clears throat> where you ended up <laughs> 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 um, and so that was a lot so you know we did a, a podcast with a guest so this is kind of the next step we're going to do the live show it's going to be an hour long it'll be Bruce and myself with Judith Ralston Yourself. and your good self well, thank you very much and how do you pronounce her name I can never pronounce her name M Magara, Magara Fury. Fury. Yeah, Magara so Fury. So she was a dominatrix. A dominatrix, and now she's fascinating. a power mind coach. So even if it's not funny, you might end up with a nice smacked bum. But I like the idea as well. So we're, you know, we'll be talking to yourself, we're talking to Magara and Judith. But very interesting back backstories that you've been in a war zone. You know, Magara's dominatrix, and again, it's those situations where sometimes you'll you'll need d diplomacy and you need to have elements of your profession where you need to be seen to be saying the right yeah. thing. But equally. Honesty is of absolute virtue, and so yeah. I think we've lost the virtue of honesty. Mm. People have a, a, they come to a kind of crossroads, and they're like, yeah. "Well, I can either be 
honestly will take the safe route here and the safe routes they're maybe not been true to themselves yeah. and they're just so worried about offending and so on but well. that's the other thing sorry Bruce the, with stand up and I think that's why it really irritates me the the best the thing about stand up is the truth in, in stand up you can lie through your teeth but the audience has to believe that you're telling the truth right. and I think as an art form and in life tell the truth because mm. it gets the best results but also live the best life that you can yeah. for yourself you know you have to be comfortable we're not asking people to rage against the machine or mm. you know bring back the sex pistols and and all this kind of stuff but you know if you're happy going along with your buzzwords and what is a good that, that's great and all evidence to the contrary, it's not that I'm looking to start a fight with anyone, well, unless I am in a supermarket, because that's normally where that happens, because <laughs> people are just so fucking stupid. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, if you, you know, if you genuinely are happy, you know, nodding along, then nod along. That, nod along, yeah. but people, I think, are lying to themselves. They know they're lying to themselves, yeah. and yet they daren't actually say what they feel for fear of being... Yeah. Cancelled or not cancelled, or fear of not being part of the in. Mm. There, there, there are comedians out there who who probably don't care about being cancelled. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of like Frankie Boyle, for example. That you know, he a, a, cares. A, yeah, 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 of course he does. But he, he, to to the observer, he will pretty much say absolutely anything. I want to come on to the the Jimmy Carr situation. Does care? No, I uh, yeah. See. I would disagree. Now, I, I know a different Frankie from the vast majority yeah. of people always been really nice to me um, and we've always got along. I think people, whether it's Frankie or Jimmy Carr, do they actually give a shit what they're saying because they've made their money? That really is the bottom line. And as much as there are so many people I would love to call out for being disingenuous mm. on TV and all that, but my oh no, my warm-up work would go or, or this, that, the yeah. next thing. So, you know, I'm maybe guilty of that professional disingenuousness, but my point would be if I genuinely had something to say to someone about their behaviour toward me, it can't just be me with an opinion screaming, oh, I don't like X, you know, they give me the bulk, um, although that might come out after a few drinks. But the fact of the matter is I would never go and just upset someone if I have a problem with someone and say, I need to get a word with you because I've heard this, I believe you've behaved like this, we shouldn't be carrying on like this, you know, what do you have to say? Right. Have I just made myself sound like a hypocrite? No. No, I don't think so. But no, I, I think people like Frankie, I think it's so much easier if you've got money to fall back on. Oh, and yes. if you think about it as well, again, it comes back to if you are a name, even if the BBC drop you or ITV drop you, would Channel 4, Channel 5 be interested? Would Netflix yeah. be interested? Yeah. You know, there's so many other avenues because we actually don't look towards putting new talent through. If you look at the UK... Yeah. How much stuff does Philip Schofield need to do? Now, I'm sure he's a lovely man, right? Yeah. But he is hosting this morning. He's the gin ads. He's the car ads. He's then on the thing about his golden hoop on a Saturday night. And then he's on Prancing with Lice, the ice skating thing at the weekend. Yeah. Seven days a week on one person. Now, of course, if you're that person, you're going to take the money. That's like the Powerball law. Is that because he's a, he's a safe bet? Um, I think it is because he is a safe bet. You know, he's not likely to stub his toe and shout fuck, um, yeah. you know, in the way that some other people have. But I think... And across... also a lot of commissioners are really boring in their bookings because yeah, yeah. they just they see then, what they like and they Holly, stick with but it. But Holly Willoughby recently, and fair play to her, 
She has the, the this morning gig. Then she got two weeks off this morning to go and present a new show with a new fee. And you're like, oh, my God, you know, and th that, that's great. But if you're but offered it, you wouldn't turn it down. That's I exactly would never turn said, it down. You know, and I think particularly in this business, because you never know when the work's going to dry up. So you're always kind of always saying yes, which gets back to podcasts, is that that kind of world is changing now because people can make can make their own stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't actually need to, you know, wait for Channel 4 or wait for Channel Completely. 5. And content is, everyone can create their own content and there's a direct route there. and you can... And get your own audience. So if people yeah. go, I don't like what she says, well, don't watch it, but I've got mm -hmm. my own channel. And mm -hmm. it's the same with, um, you know, yeah, Frankie Ball, Jimmy Carr, all of the Michael McIntyre, they can, of course, they can pretty much say what they like because they have made their money. Yeah, they're very well established. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But do they, they, but I do think they care and they start, I still think they care, 100%, because nobody wants to be cast out, do they? The wonderful winter sale is now on at Harry Corrie. Harry Corrie. Prices are falling in every department. Duvet sets from only £7.50, pillows from only £6 and lined eyelet curtains from just £12.50. The Harry Corrie Winter Sale now on. Call in store or online at harrycorrie.com while these wonderful offers last. Harry Corrie, the curtain bedding specialists. On the subject of, of you know people getting booked, Raymond Mearns told a funny story at the, in an earlier episode about somebody said to him before a show, look, we don't care if you're funny or not, just don't offend anyone. And, uh, yeah, and wow. That was in the wow. Go, go and home, your, man. There's your 200 quid, you know, mm -hmm. well, thank you very much. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. So it must be, do, do, how much does it play in your mind when you're, when you're on stage now about people being offended? Doesn't, actually. It doesn't, although, and I've mentioned this on our podcast, I did a corporate um, for a client that I regularly work with. Um, and one of the staff's father was at the event and he came up to me and he went, you are funny, but you swear far too much. And I couldn't get it out of my head. Mm. And it still bothers me to this day because I thought, oh, I'll let you down. And maybe it was because there was something about him that I liked. You know, I thought, you seem a nice man. His wife was like, oh, don't, just ignore him. You were great and all that. And it's not that you're looking for compliments, but it's very interesting to get that feedback because you rarely do. Yeah. Because in a club, you're there, you open the show, you close the show, and you're away back in the car. So no one, like, I do not interact with anyone in common, and it's nothing to do with COVID. I have no respect for you as human beings. Stay away, I've been paid. <laughs> but it was the fact that we were having drinks afterwards, and I was embarrassed and I left. Really? Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. But I do think that... I, think, I still do think you can say whatever you like on stage and if, because if it comes from a genuine place and yeah. if you really believe it, I think the problems lie. And so saying about Jimmy Carr's joke, I mean, his biggest crime, and I think everyone said this, it wasn't funny. Mm -hmm. It yeah. just wasn't funny. Yeah. And I don't even think he really believes in it himself. No. It's that trying to say something that you think will get a shock reaction. I think the minute you start saying jokes or telling stories that you think the audience will find funny, in the same way, if you start telling stories that you hope the audience won't find offence with, you're stepping on eggshells and you're yeah. being disingenuous yeah, and you're, and not, you're being not being true to yourself. Yeah, yeah. As long as you stay, to, stay true to yourself, you can say whatever you like. I talk about domestic violence and trans rights and, do you know what I mean, divorce, all this kind of stuff. So but, are you saying that the Jimmy Carr thing, mm -hmm. where he's a bit like him trying to get a thrill as a teenage boy, for want of a better thing, and is that the equivalent of what Madonna gets vilified for, for dressing in the way that she dresses at the age of 63, if you see what I mean? You know, you look at Jimmy and you think you're a guy... 
of saying, you know, why why are you doing this? What why are you playing rude or controversial bingo? And you're right, whether it's funny or not is up to the individual. But I do see that a lot with Madonna <laughs> because she chooses to put herself out in this you know, I think she's Madonna, leave her alone. Yeah. Christ, yeah. You know, what have you done she's, with she's your life? A, she's underspossed, yeah. Yeah. But I wonder as well, I've had, I've always had the theory about comedy because comedy is a a, a thing that you kind of I think if you're too famous you can't really comment in the same way I, does that make sense it's kind of basically Jimmy Carr can go out or Michael McIntyre or Frankie Ball and they could read out the phone book people go oh my god they're hilarious <laughs> whereas you know there's sometimes I think Jimmy's so well known now that he has to keep pushing the envelope further and further to try and get the reaction that's what's expected because that's what's that's expected of him whereas drumming it's kind of and so I think he's grasping in areas that he doesn't even think are worth going for. But yeah. then, so my point would be, and we know with certain comedians of stature, I'm not saying that this is fact, this is personal and group conjecture. They have a team of writers. Yeah. So what, what happened in the meeting then? You know, why did the manager think mm. that this was OK to do it? There must have been a part that probably... You know, because Jimmy's not on TV enough, is he? So what we'll do is we'll get him in. But that's the whole thing as well. It's like, can you not make a comedy show without lovely old yeah. Jimmy Khan now? You know, yeah. who is he? The the rusty Lee of comedy. No, and the thing is, though, I don't want it to come across that I'm that we're pissed off with the acts. That's not. No. I mean, I would no, 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 given no, no, half no, the no, chance, no, 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 I would no, no, take no. all the opportunities. But, but, it's the producers and the commissioners yeah, yeah, yeah. that have got no imagination. But what I'm saying is, how did this joke, whether it offended people, people didn't think it was funny or whatever they knew it was going to be controversial they knew it was going to be picked up why did they put it out then if you see what i mean because no um no uh, bad publicity bad publicity is better than no publicity no okay. such thing as bad publicity and also is it they take a set of balls to say no don't want you to do that a lot of things tend There's to just a, get there is a bit of that actually yeah. i think when yeah, you get possibly, to a certain element then, people just crawl up your arm yeah, so far yeah. because what was the what was the joke actually verbatim again i mean oh. i know it was disparaging towards it was in reference to the holocaust and the fact that um it wasn't just jews that were um killed in the holocaust yeah, there was a, gypsies there was gypsies yeah. um yeah. And so, that, which is historically accurate but the fact and uh, jimmy carr's point was that people didn't realize that there was other atrocities but you didn't give a shit well nobody gave a shit because it was gypsies but then he, here's my point then because gypsy is considered a racist term and has to i remember and I hate to bring her in, but Joan Collins, I'm going to see her unscripted show and she, um, the audience were able to answer questions. And it was fantastic, um, you know, for a, for a young homo like myself to be in a room with Joan on a Saturday night, as opposed to her being on a TV as Alexis on a Saturday night, it was like I'd gone full circle. But someone had said to her, oh, you live between here, there and everywhere. And she said, yeah, I consider myself a gypsy. She said, I'm unable to say that. I shouldn't really say that. I apologise for any kind of event. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a travelling kind of person. So my point would be then, going back to management and writers, you know that people would cling on that from mm -hmm. a racial element. Mm -hmm. So why then would you want your client to be associated with potentially racist perceived material? Ask them. No, <laughs> they're not here. Do you know why? Because they've got money. <laughs> Bruce, you said a wee minute ago you mentioned how you, you, somebody had said you, they felt you swore too much and that, that quite affected you. Um, yeah. Is it a Scottish thing? Um, because I, I find that I, I, I swear too much and, and even when I'm doing my wee kind of no, novice routine, I, I think throwing the F word in the middle of a sentence is going to make it funnier. But it's probably not. 
I think it's a combination of that. Strategically, you know, less is more, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, it can be laziness. Uh It can be the fact that I'd had a wee bit too much to drink um, because it was a corporate and the alcohol is always good. Um, I I don't know. The thing that I was more disappointed about was someone that I had met was disappointed in me and for whatever reason, even to this day, and that was in mm-hmm. November, it's still not left. Yeah, but it as far keep as... me awake at night. No, no, but as far as the nuts and bolts of a, of a set or a mm-hmm. joke... Yeah. It's what, you know, whether some, some people might think that, uh, you know, scattering an F-bomb or a C-bomb, if you if you don't swear as a rule and then you throw one in, it's a kind of shock factor Strategically, a bit. it kind of, tone and texture, yeah. it, it brings things up and down. But yeah. I, I've said that to you before, sometimes a fiddle DD as opposed to an F, you can often be as effective if you come out with a ridiculous kind of high-synth bouquet type swear. <laughs> um, but then you have to remember as well that swearing is representative of a lot of social language and social conversations. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. realised that, I mean, I do swear a lot, I mean, just in general conversation, mm-hmm. and, and what I'm like off stage is not that dissimilar to how I am. I'm on stage, and yeah. so I do IF and see all over the place, which in a comedy club environment is absolutely fine. And, and it's expected know, almost. And it's kind of expected, and it's you know, it is how I speak and it's how I feel yeah. comfortable. But I've been told because, you know, we're all on social medias now and doing TikTok, and so trying to clip any of my bits... In isolation, it does sound awful. And I've become very aware of just how much I swear on stage, mm-hmm. which I don't want to change my myself because that's who I am. But if I want to isolate it and take out clips to put online, then there does have to be less swearing yeah. because that, then it is just really, really stark. So yeah. it's the different environments that you're in really show it up for what it is. Sure. Yeah, I had um, someone that I'm working with on something else. And we were putting together like a kind of clip reel taster type of it. And I said, oh, but there's so much bad language in that. Yeah, but the thing is, none of the stuff where you weren't swearing wasn't funny. And I was like, fuck's sake. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, really? Do you just think that is that, if you see yeah. what I mean? And again, I was really hacked off. Yeah. I, I, crestfallen, I yeah. think, as someone said to us recently. But I was a bit like, I'm more than bad language. But yes. it's also so, it's so subjective. That's the one thing that I've taken from this whole journey. Um, oh, one... my God. It's like we're on the X Factor. <laughs> How many dead relatives do you have? Well, I've got a backstory. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> judges' houses. Judges song? houses. What's the song they always play when the backstory's about to start? Oh, it's <laughs> a Coldplay thing. Yes, Coldplay, that's it. Yeah. Um, no, but the one thing the one thing that I've kind of taken from it is that, I mean, it is so subjective. Three people were in a room and, you t- and, yeah. and, and the little ones, one person's going to say, that's absolutely garbage. Yeah. Another person's rolling in the aisles, mm-hmm. you know. So I think it's Catherine Ryan that's got on her Twitter profile. Oh, yes. I'm absolutely brilliant at what I do, or I absolutely dreadful. Make, I either make comedy very, very well, well or very poorly, depending on who you speak to. And I think that really sums it? it up. I think it's a brilliant one. And I am on a campaign to get Catherine a better agent and some more work because you just never see it. <laughs> Do you know there's a voucher deal that she's interested in? <laughs> so, um, I want to I want to talk to you both as well about your own kind of uh, you know inspirations and, and you know the people that your favourite comedians and maybe your favourite jokes as well and, and sort of as as you started out you know who 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 were you you know who inspired you Bruce when you were when you were kicking off? Um, I not deliberately. I've never been a fan of stand up, and I, that is still the same to this day. I, I wouldn't watch anyone, and a lot of these and people doesn't. are bam pots. And growing up, um, obviously in Dundee, um, yeah, it was people like Victoria Wood and French and Saunders, um, things like Acorn Antiques, Crossroads, 
Um, <laughs> that's <even> life. <laughs> the visit with Desmond Wilcox. Um, you know, Mary Marquis on the news. So it was more kind of, because a lot of my childhood was, <laughs> I was laughing at my mum the other day and I said, oh, what are you doing today? She went, oh, I've got the soup and pudding at the church. I went, the what? And she went, the soup and pudding. And I went, does no one have a main meal? After you've had soup and pudding, you'd be too full. Like, all right, okay. So there was a lot of kind of jumble sales and daffodil teas and and all that kind of stuff. So things like Victoria would particularly on antiques, the detail and minutia and that stood out to me. What had happened long short was I was up visiting my mum had moved to London and I'd come back up and I saw Jane Mackay, who was a Tommy Shepherd's then partner. They were the ones that brought about the stand. And I saw this woman that looked like Robbie Coltrane slash Hagrid in this um, <laughs> this like kind of suit. And she was on with Jackie Burton. Jane always spoke very, very succinctly. You know, I'm an intellectual. And it was about um, Burton's night. She went, Burton's would never have wanted to be on a tea towel, let me tell you. <laughs> and I always remember, what is the stand? Comedy club, the stand, comedy club. And then I'd moved back to Edinburgh because I'd fallen in love with a, a midget that smelled of rind. It's a long story. Well, actually, it's not. It's a very short story. And had walked past the club and I thought, oh, that's that place. That's that place in the documentary. So I went in and the woman went, oh, hi, can I help you? And I went, uh, no, thanks. What is this? She went, oh, it's a comedy club. And at the time they had pamphlets. My God, we're going back. And it was, do you think you're funny? And she went, have you thought about this? And I went like that, no, but I've got a funny friend. What's the deal? And it was um, Sunday afternoons in the back room in Edinburgh. <laughs> With Tommy and Jane as your mentors, I mean, <laughs> dear God almighty, two-ton Tessie squared. And I remember walking in thinking, they're a couple of bin lids, this is absolute pish. And then um, she was like, right, right, OK, well, what you'll have to do, just get up, get up! And you were like, OK, God, it's like Japanese water torture. And I was like, well, I've not prepared any shit to talk! And I went, all right, OK. <laughs> I think I'm still off my tits from last night. I'm a drunk all this taboo and mirage. I'd taken a couple of eckies, went to this club minging. There was a woman out of her mind on the same drugs in a fishnet bodysuit talking about how she made macaroni and cheese, you know, with uh, little frankfurter sausages. I said, right, right, OK, OK, so you're naturally funny then. I sit down! You're like, all right, OK. And Tommy's going, ooh, and I thought, ooh, God, he was just like a nose, just like, honestly, a big Picasso in the room. And I never went back the next week and then I thought, Oh, I should go back and I did and I got booked um, and that kind of the rest is history and that's a horrible thing but I remember being in London people were like you should do stand up and I was like I am standing up I'm not disabled what are you talking <laughs> about because I didn't they know they're like no there's comedy clubs in that. and I was like comedy and that's the thing being funny in Browns of South and Bolton Street or in a left or in a living room is very different from commanding an audience not all of the audience are going to be commanded by you, but they'll certainly pay attention sure. to you. So, you know, that's... No, so that's I miss Jane from the comedy club, oh. and if anybody new starting comedy thinks that they get it a bit rough, they didn't know oh. Jane Mackay. Yeah. I remember her saying to me once, uh, you're a woman of a certain age and I like you. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> um, similar to Bruce, actually, I didn't... I'd never stepped foot inside a comedy club. I didn't know what a comedy club was. You were a backup dancer. I was a backup dancer. <laughs> We knew each other before stand up. Mm -hmm. So, Jill Peacock, may she rest in peace. Um, is she dead? I don't know. <laughs> to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jill Peacock was a stand up comedian and uh, she did a show where I was a backing dancer for mm -hmm. it. And I do remember thinking, 
I could do better mm-hmm. um, And that's when I met Bruce. But also, I'd seen a um, stand-up comedy course, which I think has been mentioned on this yes, podcast many a times. It might be Viv G. Viv, Viv G, yes. However, indeed. Viv G was not at the helm the year that I didn't. It was somebody called Charlie Ross, who I subsequently found out was still a baby opens bot himself when he started teaching that course, Cheeky uh. Sod. <laughs> anyway... Um, it was a 10-week course. I remember Des McLean coming in on one of them, teaching us how to deal with hecklers. And and I just I found it fascinating. Yeah. I had no interest in being a stand-up because I actually wanted to go back into acting because right. um, I trained as an actor and done all that kind of stuff. And then I'd be nil, had a brain hemorrhage. Everybody's had this boring old story. So I did want to kind of get back into acting and thought... Oh, stand up on my CV and look really mm-hmm. quite impressive, you know, that you just you know how to do stand up. But I did that first gig at, I think, Blackfriars it was, right. to poor unsuspecting public, didn't have a clue, um, did five minutes and went, ooh, 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 and genuinely I bloody loved it. And it was December 2001 was my first ever gig. And then I didn't do another gig until March 2002, where a sort of group of us all went and did Red Row. Mine was October 99 and it was the graduation showcase of the mm-hmm. uh, course that I'd done. And I remember his name was Jason something, the reviewer from the Evening Times. I can't remember his name, but um, we called him Bella Lugosi because he did look like that. And I remember there was a guy, Cormac O'Hara, who was from here and he happened to be HIV positive and... Um, I mean, Christ, if you think I'm no holds barred, <laughs> he used to go to the audience, I'm positive and I'm going to take you out by slashing my wrists and rubbing oh, the blood oh, on the river. Oh, and I'm like, oh my God. But I remember as well, it, the, the review had said something along the lines of, we shouldn't be mentioning anyone, um, but it would be unjust not to mention these two because I think Cormac was a red coat. Um, the irony, but um, he was a Butlin's <laughs> person and he obviously was a bit more, you know, together than I was. I, I mean, I had raw talent, but, you know, I needed guidance. <laughs> I was like Alexander McQueen. And, um, but it was, it was Jane, like, seriously, Jane was my comedy mentor and mm. it was Jane who also put me off doing sets because I did one in Brighton. She went, you fucked it up, you fucked it up. And I'm like, oh, my God, leave me alone, leave me alone. She said, ah! And that's never kind of left me, but... My finishing touches and all that, I I, I owe everything to the start. Mm-hmm. That anything that I've gone on to do mm-hmm. has been by virtue of the fact that they gave me a platform, that they gave me opportunity. And, yeah, I think you forget how important the stand is mm-hmm. in the cultural landscape of Scotland anyway. But also how brutally honest the feedback was. Yeah. And I don't know, I know you're saying you're getting your feedback. I don't know how honest it will be or it will be comforting or whatever. Oh. I think it's a bit more comforting now, whereas I really miss that brutal honesty. Sure. And I think we need more of that right between the eyes. What? Your shit, don't ever do this again. What I will do, you, so you, you, you've both heard this, the set I did last night, yeah. so I'll share the feedback with you and see if you get what your thoughts are okay. on that. That'd be great. But I, w- I would also say to anybody listening to this that, I mean, I don't know what percentage of people in Scotland go to watch live comedy and um, and and like Tuesday night Red Raw at the stand mm-hmm. in Glasgow. It's a fantastic night. Yes, it really is. I'm always amazed and though. I don't know if it's the same with you, Bruce. The amount of people who come up to me afterwards, and go, "Oh my God, really enjoy that." I've never been. I've never been to a comedy club before. Yeah. And I go, "Where have you been hiding?" But then I think to myself, until I was 36, I'd never been in a comedy yeah. club. So, and I'm sure there was a there was a feeling. Among among um, people during the COVID pandemic, oh my God, will will live comedy ever come back to what it was before? And we all, we all thought about that. We yeah. thought about the the tightly packed 
you know, the kind of cramped mm-hmm. live rooms and so on. And, and what I saw last night at the yeah. stand was getting close to that. I and mean, people looked... need humour. People forget that's what they need. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if we can't laugh, what have we got? 100%. Yeah. Um, so tell tell me, remind me, where can people follow you and see your, your content, both of you, and on socials and various things like that? So they can follow us both on Twitter, Twitter. and Instagram under our names. You're Jojo Sutherland on both, Jojo aren't you? Jojo Sutherland everywhere, yeah. I'm Bruce Devlin on Twitter, but because of the golfer, Bruce Devlin. Uh-huh. I'm Bruce Angus Devlin, which is my full name. That's my proper lady's name mm-hmm. for a Sunday um, on Instagram. But you can follow us on at Be Honest Podcast. At Be Honest Podcast. That's on yes. Twitter and Instagram. And th- we have our link tree of wherever you can subscribe and and all that kind of stuff. And you can leave us reviews and um, you can get in touch with the podcast if there's anything that you want discussed. Excellent. Yes. Um, yes. And as ask. I say, we've got a live event, including your very good self, on the 13th of March as part of the Glasgow. International Comedy Festival with Judith Ralston, TV legend, yes. weather girl. Um, I'm also on TikTok. Are you on TikTok? I'm on TikTok. How, like are, you, how, are, you, how are you finding that? Do you know what? I'm absolutely in love with it. And I'll tell you for why. Because it is complete strangers. You know, on Twitter and everything, you've got all your other sort of comedian friends and stuff. On TikTok, it is just... And it's extraordinary. I've, yeah. I've, I, yeah, I get some really nice comments and I've got more views on that than anywhere else. And is it just you doing some of your routines? Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, so it's the clips like I was saying earlier and then Nathan keeps going, stop swearing. Um, so it's quite hard to find clips that, where I'm not swearing. But yeah, just lots of clips of me doing stand-up. It was so. really nice that you were able to cut me off talking about the guests oh, to talk about to your TikTok. Long. I mean, that was a real treat <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> even the little technical monkey's throwing his grinder away. He's not even interested in the hard bombing now. He's like, oh, I can't be... Can't take any more. Because you're being told to put, be put out. Put, tell them about your TikTok. Tell them about yeah, your TikTok. Yeah, not your TikTok. Not your TikTok. <laughs> I just hope he's been doing what he's supposed to be doing not on Grinder. there. Like, he's been maybe. cupping. He Let's just oh leave it. Oh, my days. This is back to the language again where I feel completely like an old lady that's well, had her vagina well, you, sewn up. But the thing is, because we talk about bum apps quite a lot. Yeah, well, because... <laughs> Because you went on, well, it was... I a, did, I went on Bumble. Well, you went on Bumble, which is not Bumble. 24 hours, no, it's not I don't know app. if Bumble's going that or whatever, but, I mean, that, that's more for the gentlemen that are interested in the primary meal, not the secondary no, meal. No, but I felt like I genuinely <laughs> But was you felt like a piece of meat. A piece of meat in a window. I felt like I was on in a, a good butcher's. <laughs> in a very good butcher's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's taken eight Horrific. episodes, eight episodes of Laughter Unlocked for for, for uh, the guest to turn and producer David. Yeah, he's, he's got a good old fashioned. Hey, we're encouraging him. He's got a beamer. <laughs> a beamer. And I don't we, have, we have the gay equivalent of Joseph Fritzl here, scuttling around underneath, touching himself, cupping. <laughs> and she's got I that want... fake parsley from the good bitch. I, hope... I want to be a gay man. That's what well, I decided. We started, we started that off, uh, it seems like, oh, an hour ago, talking about uh, cutting room floor and what was left in the tunnel <laughs> floor. Look forward to these three minutes. I seriously hope I hope that doesn't end up in the cutting room floor because there's tears running down producer David's face. Um, He's well, lubed and ready to go, people. Well, what a brilliant way to end. What a brilliant way to end the, the first series. The first series. Yeah. Of- That's it. We told you at the beginning, the last, and it won't be recommissioned. That's what we do. We come round these parts and close you up. Close it down. Close it down. A bit like my sex life. So, um, very much hope that Laughter Unlock will be Laughter Unlock will be back in the summer ahead of Edinburgh when I will be, uh, you know, fulfilling my contractual agreement with the listener to uh, to perform a wee bit of the Edinburgh Finch. Let's hope that happens.
Well, we are in discussion to do Be Honest at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yes, oh, wow. we are. So we will extend an invitation now for you to come oh, on well, one of those would, episodes. How good would that be? We'll, I could have my, my, my audition could be this coming have, Sunday. Well, you'll have your uh, feedback. Uh, you'll have your then. feedback and we can discuss your feedback oh. all live and in the, on, the, on the show. But also it would be great to have you to come and do, we're doing the uh, Be Honest every day, sort of what what we said, the short, sharp way to start the day, the Be mm-hmm. Honest way to start mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. With a with an hour show with guests, so it would be nice for you to come and do your five minutes on that show. Quickly, Jojo, you on TikTok? It's just I'm not sure we got that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first thing I'm doing when I finish here. Is it is a blocking TikTok <laughs> on downloading Grinder? <laughs> well, listen, that's great. We, we will we will wrap up there. You, what a fantastic <laughs> hour I've just had. Uh, you guys have been really really brilliant. Really enjoyed your company. Great insight. Thank and uh, thanks again. Thank you. <laughs> The wonderful winter sale is now on at Harry Corey. Harry Corey. Prices are falling in every department. Duvet sets from only £7.50, pillows from only £6, and lined eyelet curtains from just £12.50. The Harry Corey winter sale now on. Call in store or online at harrycorey.com while these wonderful offers last. Harry Corey, the curtain bedding specialists.